Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Three Questions. Um, I am talking to um, one of the best people in show business. True, uh, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, one of the smallest egos in show business. Uh, no, the uh, the amazingly talented and wonderful and magical Paget Brewster. It's me, Andy. It's you. We have not seen each other in a long time because. I know. Um, the world has conspired against us. Mm-hmm. And but we've zoomed. We have I've seen you. We have. We did. Uh, yeah, we did some uh, pandemic fundraisers. We did mm-hmm. a, a a table read uh, for Andy Richter controls the universe, which just recently had the twentieth anniversary of its premiere, which is cuckoo insane cuckoo bananas mm-hmm. um but uh yeah but i'm so glad you could do this i'm so happy that you could come on here and uh chew the fat for an hour um and and because i miss you in my life boy you know i tell people all this the time i I'll, i tell people this all the time i said having Paget Brewster around is like having a USO show going on at all times. <laughs> what does that she's, mean? Because she's always there to entertain the troops. <laughs> you are all, and you were that. That was the way that you are were when I worked with you. Is that you were always just like array of old timey show business sunshine of like, hey fellas, what's going on? You know, have a coffee and a donut. Um, and I, and it was, so, it was so appreciated. I hope you take that as the, the supreme compliment that it's I, meant I to do. be. No, okay. I do. I, no, I absolutely do take that as a compliment. And I will say this. I'm very flattered that you asked me to do this podcast because, uh, eventually I would have found out that you were doing a podcast and my feelings would have been hurt <laughs> that you didn't ask. So two well, words, one stone. Yeah. Thank God that you're you're not you're not up on the latest podcast because this <laughs> thing's been going on for a while. How long? How long? Uh, Three I, years. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Like, I'm no, a, that's I, okay. Jesus Christ. And the, you know, and honestly, you've been on the list from the initial moment that I had this podcast of like, here's who I want. Ah. Um. And then I just never reached out because I was. I, and I said this to you, and we, we talked about a little bit a minute ago. I framed it as, look, say no, because <laughs> I hate it when people ask me, like, you know, like, hey, do you have an hour and a half to spend on 
on making content for me. And, uh, you know, and it's always kind of like, oh, I don't know. Do I like you? Yeah, I guess I like you enough. It's um, a hard ask. I, I, yeah. It's a hard ask. And a lot of people have podcasts. And uh, I have been asked to do uh, podcasts by strangers. Yeah. And I, and basically now what I say is I do my friends' podcasts. Yeah. That's what I do. I so kinda, unless it's something fascinating. Right. Or I'm, or or if it's like, you know, I don't know, if Dr. Fauci wanted me on his podcast, I, I suppose I'd say yes. I don't know what I'd talk about. You would. But, you would say yes. Too political yes. for me. Don't care oh. for it. Yeah, but I mean, I could steer him into just comedy, you know. That's true. <laughs> if anyone can do it, it's you. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, uh, disease comedy. Uh, you know, that what kind do you of have thing. to lose by asking him to do your podcast? You have nothing to lose by asking him. And uh, you know nothing. What? That's Maybe true. Maybe he'd like to be a little comedic right now. No, I could uh, actually. All right, I'm going to write that down. You can ask anyone. Dr. Fauci. Yeah, but it would really uh, probably uh, hurt me with my right wing fans. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, aren't you uh, wouldn't they want to hear from him too doesn't don't, don't people want to hear from him whether they, they, they could, agree they could with him rage or not? listen yeah they could rage oh, listen gosh. i suppose so that's where we well how it. are you what are you doing with yourself i'm these doing days? Uh, animation You're, voices and narration and, but and and you have like a i saw an lgbtq uh, horror, horror movie coming yes. out What's it, that about? It's a, it's actually a, uh, it's actually a, a very, very good movie. I'm very proud of it. I think it's beautiful and and smart and funny and and horrifying. It's a psychological horror thriller about a a, a young gay man going through a basically a mental breakdown that that um, results in he's 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 feeling pain. And sort of causing himself pain, uh, and he can't get to the bottom of what it is, what's causing it, and and mm-hmm. you, you sort of find out it's childhood uh, trauma and and uh, his mother's mentally ill, and 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 it's a it's about sort of this discovery of mental illness and going through the medical system and seeing how people respond to it and what it does to your relationships. And I'm only in it for one scene. Okay. And it was right in the middle of the pandemic. And what's it called? It's called Hypochondriac. Hypochondriac. Yeah. All and right. it stars Zach Via. Um, okay. It's, uh, now I can't remember everybody else in it. Well, you shouldn't Madeline. have to. Uh, yeah. Uh, IMDb it, people. Look it up. It's IMDb it. It's I don't know when it's coming out. It's coming out okay. this summer. I know XYZ bought it at South by Southwest or mm-hmm. Sundance or something. Well, that's cool. What, what about you? What about you? You're doing the podcast. You're doing. Uh, I'm doing the podcast. I am waiting for the phone to ring. Uh, I'm. I'm. Have fingers crossed. There's still an Andy Richter market out there. Um, but there it is. is. It, what are you talking? What do you mean? <laughs> no, I mean. I mean, just <laughs> no. I mean, I. It, it's just. It's a weird. It's a weird, very entitled, very lucky situation to have been on a show like the Conan Show for eleven years, and to sort of lose that sort of armor plating that working freelance gives you, you know, that sort of when your parents say, well, after this job, what's next? And you go, I don't know. And then they go, oh my God, how do you live like that? And you go, "Eh, I don't know. I just do. (laughs) Um, And I lost that because I got used to a steady paycheck and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, and it's, you know, and as everyone will say, it's not, 
it's not a great time to be a 55 year old white man out trying to get work. And that's fine with me. I understand what's behind that. And I do not want to come off as that. I'm grousing about that at all because we white guys have had it real good and we don't have a lot of room for bitching. So, um, but I'm just, wait, I'm, I'm actually, I'm shooting something. Uh, Chelsea Peretti is, uh, Written and directed and starring in, which is insane that she's doing that. Uh, a movie that I I have a part in uh, that's called First Time Female Director, and yeah. it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be out in uh, six years probably. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, after everyone in the cast's uh, facial surgery has rendered them irrecognizable, <laughs> unrecognizable. Um, so I'm doing that, and that's really fun. And I'm trying to develop stuff, and you know, but mostly just. Hanging out with my dog and my kids. And I got a, a real wonderful girlfriend now. And, and we spend lots of time together. And um, and that's it. And how's how's your husband? How's your hubby? My husband's the best. My yeah. husband is uh, my engineer. Uh-huh. So he's a composer. Uh, and he's been scoring indie films and documentaries. And he we built a recording studio at... we There was like this five-month... Uh, I don't want the neighbors to hear, but they know there was like a five month loophole in uh, where we live in Los Angeles that allowed you to turn your garage into anything you want without specific permits. Oh, wow. We turned our garage into a recording studio. So it's soundproofed. It's a floating. It's like a room within a room. How did you know that? Like you just knew like there was some lapsing in. in Yeah, I I heard about it and we had talked about building a studio. And this was about five years ago, six years ago now. And so we did it. Then when the pandemic hit, uh, I, I immediately thought, oh, OK, this is going to be Spanish flu. This is going to be two years. Yeah. Of, and that and, and this, you know, 1917, 1918, that was before people were flying all over the world with a fair, a fair amount of ease. So I thought this is going to be two years. We're going to be locked in. So we ordered a vocal booth. Because the room didn't have that before Mm -hmm. and put in a vocal booth and the entire time, with the exception of one day on hypochondriac and one week playing Hilary Duff's mother on How I Met Your Father, I did one episode. All of my work has been voiceover, um, narration, animation voices, uh, uh, crime, uh, documentary series narration in that studio with my husband recording and running the, you know, the computer and the board and everything while I'm in the booth. And so it's been, we were really fortunate that, that we, we had the equipment to, to, to stay safe and continue working. Right. And And so I've just been hustling for, you know, um, I had done animation before the pandemic, but, but it's been my sole focus it's really fun work, too, I isn't it? I love it. I it's love great. it. Yeah. And and uh, also, too, it's not, you didn't have any, there's, I imagine that there's no <clears throat> decrease in quality, uh, you know, like you're you're sending up, because, I mean, I, for instance, uh, I watched the, the, whatever, the behind the scenes of Disney Rides show, because I'm well, that, that kind of nerd. And I, I was like, wait a minute, that's Paget. Yeah, doing the voiceover for that. That was that was actually the first job that we got, and we didn't have the vocal booth yet. So I built, we built a vocal booth out of furniture pads. You know what they wrap a sure, sure, in, 
and these things called gobos that are standing padded, yeah. insulated, like a it's like a, a folding. Uh, you know, it looks like I'm trying like to explain for people like at egg home. crate, like the foam egg crate kind of. No, stuff. no, no, no. It's like oh, a oh. standing hard structure uh, on a hinge. So it, it folds like um, it folds up. Uh, it's thick. It's like, uh, you know, four inches thick each wall with a hinge on it. So we had three of those and then draped fabric over it and. So you and could get and in. all the yeah. egg carton stuff on the inside and on the floor. And so that's how we recorded behind the attraction. Then our vocal booth showed up. And so uh, we just we haven't stopped. And I I, I love it. And I and I, I it's hard. to. It's so much fun. It, listen, it doesn't pay what a TV show pays, you know, right, like, a right. real, like a network uh, uh, show. But it's um, being able to do it from home. And feel like, you know, we're running a business. We should buy a cappuccino machine for our business <laughs> lunch is really fun. So, yeah, he's, yeah. He, and, and, and we're both kind of we're slightly hermits anyway. So so this has been we we've been extremely fortunate yeah. to enjoy each other's company. My hobby is cooking. So that wasn't a big leap when suddenly, right. you know, you couldn't go to restaurants or so we've we've weathered this knock wood that it's ending soon um <laughs> fairly well <laughs> yeah yeah well now this podcast i don't know if you're from the the concept of this podcast yes i know? looked it up okay so uh we should get into the where do you come from part which yes. i i know a little bit okay uh but you're 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 from massachusetts that is correct and your 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 parents were both school administrators at sort of like boarding schools, right? It, yeah, it was, uh, I grew up on the campus of a school in Concord, Massachusetts called Middlesex, which was a, a private boarding school. It was all boys until 1976 or 77, and then it went co-ed. Mm -hmm. uh, so I and my younger brother, Ivan, we grew up in a dormitory and our parents were dorm parents. My dad was an English teacher and he coached soccer and crew, you know, the rowing, the sure. rowing with it. And my mother was uh, the ceramics teacher. And uh, later on, my dad became college placement and admissions and, you know, did different jobs uh, within Middlesex. Um, and uh, and so so that I mean, it's an unusual way to grow up. We, mm -hmm. you know, you. It's the boarding school from, oh, there's some Brendan Fraser movie that shot at that boarding school. It's beautiful. It's mm -hmm. safe. It's protected. So, you know, all of the faculty kids who are living in dorms, we just were, we're we were just free to roam. We had a yeah. pond. We had an ice rink. There was a library. And, you know, we just had this safe environment. to And to idyllic, I imagine, too, like a... Truly, you know, because like a John in the Irving summer, novel or something. Yeah. Oh, oh, real. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. mean less bleak than the you know happiest John Irving. Not like it really was. <laughs> it really was. And we thought everyone lived that way. We thought yeah. everyone's parents didn't work for three months during the summer. We. I mean, I. It never. It didn't occur to me. I think I was fifteen when I realized. Wait a minute. Most people work all year. Yeah. All year. <laughs> <laughs> How can I be that old? <laughs> well, and and uh, and it's also just like the fact to live in a dorm is kind of 
yeah. you know, that's a very, I don't, I had never heard of like kids living in a dorm because then in the three months in the summer that your parents didn't work, but you still were on campus and. Sometimes. Yeah. But they did when they were, my mom and dad also, they got married very young. My mom, uh, was 19 and my dad was 23 when they got married. Wow. She she was 21 when I was born. Wow. Uh, so my dad was 25 uh, and my brother came two and a half years later. Um, they bought a little house in rural Maine next to where my dad's mother, my grandmother, Joan, lived in Maine. So uh-huh. we had this... Uh, it's a, it's kind of like a barn, it, more mm-hmm. of a barn. It was built in 1780 something. It was, wow. you know, this, and it's cold in Maine, but yeah. we would only be there in the summer. Yeah. Um, so we had this, you know, beautiful, oh, will we go to Maine for the summer? I mean, it was an <laughs> extremely privileged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, upbringing. You went to Maine to get a taste of real life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And what it's really like. Yeah. When it's Dad's going to go shoot the porcupines tonight. <laughs> kind of chilly at night. That's, oh, stop you know. it. <laughs> no, there are ticks, Andy. Ticks. <laughs> well, well, now, it, was it was it weird? Because, I mean, I imagine the students at Middlesex are pretty well to do. Was it weird being around a bunch of rich kids and being known as like a teacher's kid within the this world of rich kids? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because in the, I was born in 1969. So in the 70s, nice. the, in, the, in the middle 70s, when it became a co-ed boarding school, there, were, there was a lot of pot smoking. At, at one point, some rich kid dosed all of the pets with LSD. The pets? Uh, the pets, all of the faculty pets, and some of them oh died. Um, oh. One time, uh, a kid lit a, lit a, my, my brother and I were bugging a couple of kids in another dorm who were, you know, teenagers. They were just playing ping pong, and I'm sure my brother and I were irritating, and, you know, no one wants random kids running around. And uh, a kid lit a ping pong ball on fire and hit it at me. Um, so there were some, it was, you know, it was that I <laughs> Who knew that could even, you could even do that. I didn't know you could. I can't yeah. believe that kid did it. Did he dose it in, douse it in like lighter <laughs> fluid? I mean, it's now that I'm saying yeah. it, I'm trying to figure out how that even happened. Maybe they but, do um, burn. Uh, I think I smoked pot for the first time, probably, uh, when I was six or seven, I was up in the dormitory. What? what? In the girls' dormitory. Wow. And uh, I, I, the babysitter uh, got, said, you know, suck on this, suck on this, you know, and it was just a joint. And then I remember she was drying her hair with a blow dryer and I just watched her drying her hair with a blow dryer and, you know, it was just so bizarre. And I took the blow dryer from her and it sucked my hair into the, the yeah, yeah, the thing back in the end. back. Um, yeah, so I'm not, I don't really like pot. Maybe that was a weird, <laughs> but you know, listen, basically, basically harmless. Nothing really, our pet, our dog Torque didn't die from the mm-hmm. uh, LSD dosing. Um, yeah. Became so, a huge fish fan. <laughs> he did. He was really into blues. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
As you get, I mean, I imagine you went, you and your brother went to school there then, yeah? Well, I, part of my parents' pay was that their children, if their test scores were good enough, could go to Middlesex for free. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got in and it it just um, did not belong there. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was not a good fit. And I was... You know, at at that point, listen, I grew to be a beautiful young lady. You certainly did. Thank you. But when I was a kid, uh, not great. Kind of looked kind of like a little vulture. Um, Braces. I had a I had a um, like a men's military haircut Mm. that I thought worked on my head shape. Mm. Um, But I I was not popular. I wasn't. Uh, cool. I wasn't wealthy. I wasn't, I was a fact brat, you know, the faculty kid is a fact right. brat. So it was, um, it, it was diminished. It was tough. High school was tough. And, yeah. uh, I was failing my classes and I was asked to leave, which broke my parents' heart. But I think they then realized, oh, this also would not be a good fit for our son. So I went, uh, back to, I had been in all, my parents' uh, priority for my brother and I was education. So they put all of their money and were helped by my grandparents to put my brother and I into um, uh, same-sex schools. The, the, the school, the, the private schools in Concord that were not where my parents taught were a boys' school and a girls' school. So mm-hmm. I had gone to girls' school until I was... 14 or 15 and and started at this you know <laughs> this wealthy new york city uh you know co-ed school where suddenly i was just i i was just a loser yeah. and uh and so it was not a good experience for me so when i was uh, asked to leave i begged my parents to send me to the girls school that my mom went to mm. in uh, westchester new york and so uh I did. Uh, they were kind enough to 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 pay for that. And I my um, senior and junior years, I was at a, a school in Dobbs Ferry, New York. And it was it, it was, was all girls. Yeah. There, uh, um, I mean, there are so few all girls schools and, and who knows if that would even work now, but it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a safe environment and it, it, it felt, um, you know, girls weren't competing against each other for the attention of boys. Um, uh, There weren't sort of click hierarchies. It was, uh, uh, I found that everyone had a valuable place in that society. And whether you were, you know, a a beautiful rich girl or a nerd or a jock or a mathlete in, in a single sex environment, everybody was, you still had your place. Right. So it was a weird, uh, there's a big difference in, in, um, in schooling if, if you're a- around, uh, you know, boys. Yeah, it- I, I've always, uh, because uh, my ex-wife went to girls Catholic school and mm-hmm. I've, known, I've known women that went to, you know, non-co-ed schools. Mm-hmm. And it does seem, I mean, from just my life experience, like there is a real benefit to that. And that the introduction of boys into girls scholastic uh, uh, lives is is 
quite often destructive and quite often uh, disruptive. Whereas I do think like boys going to school with boys, I, I feel like that's fine because then they can just be boys. They can just be, you know, boys to themselves. Like, I don't think that boys are in any way endangered by women. And I do realize that this is the same rationale that keeps women in other parts of the country or in other parts of the world wearing scarves and yeah, it, and 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 being isolated into their own restaurants and their own places of worship. I understand that that's the same rationale, but it's like I do feel like yeah, I bet as a girl it is kind of nice to go to a school where there aren't those stupid fucking boys around, you know? <laughs> I mean, I I Obviously, I think everything has an advantage and a disadvantage. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was sort of really properly socialized. I, I had a lot to learn when I graduated high school about men and women because I hadn't been, I hadn't really, you know, grown up having to navigate how teenage uh, competition, sexuality, um, misogyny, yeah. uh, sexism, uh, yeah. you know, um, uh, homophobia. Like there, there was no, there were girls at, at the school. There were teachers at the school that were gay and nobody, it didn't matter. You know, it didn't, no, no. it felt like, well, girls don't care. It, it, it becomes yeah. something else, um, outside in the real world. So I think there were disadvantages to, to that as well. Um, but and I also think there is a difference in if 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 a country requires men and women to be separate. These are also countries that that do not uh, allow uh, for the LGBTQ lifestyle. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean that's a, it's a different thing. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I also I'm, I'm all, like, it's just one of those things that I'm le I'm left a little uncomfortable with. But it's kind of like well, yeah, but you know, at a certain point, there's like real life experience sometimes trumps what may seem like an ideal, you know? Yeah. But even yeah. my, even my saying to you, it was a girl's school because we've learned so much specifically in the last five, 10 years, I, that now sounds so antiquated to mm -hmm. me. And, mm -hmm. and there's a reason why it's from an, it's from another generation. It's just yeah. from another generation yeah. because those girls schools we're also teaching etiquette and dancing and, right. you know, how right. to marry, how to marry a, a boy from the boys school. I mean, right. you know, so it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to have a career, it'll be, you know, as a spinster teaching <laughs> your, your classmates, children or something like that. You're not going to be a fucking engineer. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. There were no. There was no STEM. There was yeah. no. No. I learned how to fence, and I learned French. <laughs> <laughs> that just in case, you know, some yeah. Quebecois street gangs come down here and start <laughs> hassling uh, yeah, people. I I practice neither uh, these days. At Delta, we know Mike and HC prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. 
Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, what did you want when you got out of school as you were getting towards the end of your schooling and it was time to go to college? What what were you looking for? Uh, because my parents were teachers, um, I knew I had to go to college and I wanted to go to an art college. I had always excelled in art and English, but uh, I didn't see... Uh, I, I I didn't see the value of of a degree in English or literature, yeah. um, or art history. I just didn't understand what you did with your life at that point. Uh, although you know, what do you do with a degree from Parsons School of Design? I don't know what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I got in, but uh, I really just wanted to get to New York so I could act. <laughs> really? Uh, so, now, were you acting in high school? The whole time, yeah, a lot of yeah, acting, yeah. but it was inconceivable that anybody would I didn't even know I didn't know Juilliard existed I would never have gotten into Juilliard but I didn't know that acting colleges also that just would not be accepted that was not acceptable uh, yeah same and I mean I'm from a little town in Illinois but it's the same thing it's just like no you don't what nobody does that no one does that no one does that for a living so Yeah. yeah so I went to Parsons for not even one year I went to Parsons School of Design I was living in the George Washington Welfare Hotel on 23rd and Lex Wow. Um, in an eight by eight room, but I had my own bathroom. So that was very luxurious. That's nice. Yeah. Um, uh, eight by eight feet by eight feet. Not not like an eight room apartment. I understand. <laughs> I, no understand. Yeah, okay. yeah, we, I know. But if you did, we knew no, it wasn't you know, eight bedrooms <laughs> and eight bathrooms. <laughs> I mean, well, it sounds like, well, she went to boarding school and learned how to fence. This bitch probably had an eight bedroom <laughs> apartment in Manhattan when she fucking felt like it. Um no, so I I went to Parsons the just the foundation year and auditioned. I was uh, you know doing NYU thesis films and I was acting in yeah. friends little things and I ended up doing um uh auditioning for Hurley Burley the the David Rabe play at uh Circle in the Square wow. theater group. Even though I wasn't I didn't go to NYU, I wasn't part As of As a freshman that. in college. 
uh, I wasn't even there. I was at Parsons. That's what I mean. But you were, yeah. that's how young you were that you got oh, that yeah, audition. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was 18, 18. Yeah. And so uh, I got uh, the part of Darlene and went and apologized to all of my teachers at Parsons and said, this isn't you. It's me. I should never have been here in the first place. You're a great teacher. Cause I knew how heartbroken my parents were year after year when they would have students that, that didn't try or didn't care or, um, you know, they really, they, they, they did, they, they taught me a, profound respect and, and, and appreciation. And I think understanding of, um, teachers who care really, really care. And it, it hurts them when they can't excite or teach or inspire kids. So uh, I apologized to all my teachers and dropped out and, and, uh, and my parents said, well, that's, that's it. You're out. You're out. You're out of the family and we're not going to pay your rent and we're not going to help you out. And I was like, no problem. And uh, so I was waitressing and and I mean, my rent was four hundred and ninety five dollars a month because it was that little room. Yeah. Um, with people, you know, a lot of sort of mentally ill people and people on SSI living on my floor. Um, it wasn't a coveted apartment space. Mm-hmm. So I could cover the bills, uh, uh, waitressing and then later bartending. And um, and uh, oh, yeah. But then I was too chicken to even, I didn't even try to go to acting school or anything. I, I, I started. Uh, singing in a band. I put a band together, uh, ended up, you know, dating my living with my drummer and a great guy, you know, cool guy. We were together Mm -hmm. for a long time and, and uh, we had a band called mechanical bride. And then I did a dance band, like some club, we had a club hit uh, covering that song Aquarius by the fifth dimension. Um, And I wasn't doing any, I wasn't trying to pursue acting. I thought I would be the, like a one name, I thought our band would be so big. I'd be Paget, the singer, like Cher or Sting. Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. just be offered acting roles in uh, uh, Oscar-winning films. And right, yeah, yeah, I had a real good plan. <laughs> well, it must have felt good to have your parents say, "All right, Rouse," and yeah. then you, and yeah. then you were like, "All right, fine," and you. You did it. And did they did they come around to respecting the fact that you did that? They did. They did. And I I always knew if something went wrong, if I needed medical help, if I you know, if something really went wrong, that they would be there to help me. I didn't I wasn't abandoned. I wasn't estranged. I wasn't you know, they they just said, if this is the choice you're going to make, you're going to have to support it. And mm-hmm. I now feel like, well, every parent should say that to every 18 or 19 year old. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this the world has changed and I think people just can't afford housing now. So that that actually wouldn't work. But for for my age and, and my generation, um, I, I completely respect that they said we don't understand what you think you're going to do and we're going to make you prove that you can do it. And they did. And yeah. I did. And so it you know worked out great. Yeah. And so you did, I mean, did you have, I mean, you say, you know, that you thought, oh, you would be a, you know, a mono name. That was was the hope. But, but I mean, but that's not like a real plan. Did you have a plan or did you just kind of, you know, follow one thing after the other and kind of just instinctively go from one opportunity to the other just as they presented themselves. No, I did not have a plan. I didn't have a plan. And I yeah. think honestly, the plan was I had been told by all of my teachers and all of my drama teachers and everyone at school, you know, from second grade on, 
oh, you should act. You're a great actress. Oh, you're, you're, you're funny, but you can be serious and you're great. And I was so scared to really try. And I felt, I wa- feel like I w- spent years of my life walking around with, I thought this was like my get out of jail free card, like a, oh, but I can act. And as soon as I put my mind to it, I'm going to be a huge success. And I just was too scared to try. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't. I mean, I didn't even end up. I was acting. I was going to acting school in San Francisco. And this is from 93 to 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bartending. And I got an agent. And he sent me. I He hung out at my bar in Potrero mm-hmm. Hill in San Francisco. And he sent me on auditions. They were auditions for. Um, anchor people, correspondents, talk show hosts, because that's wow. what he specialized in. I didn't know there was a different kind of agent. So and that's I, and there's lots of that and going on in San Francisco in particular, I, or yeah, no, just there there are agents for. Do you want to host? Do you want to, you know, uh, be a pitch person on QVC or wow. uh, a, a host for a kids show or, uh, you know, they're anchor people and um, it's all hosting. So I I. Just through good luck, uh, ended up with a talk show because in 1994, Ricky Lake was this huge talk show for Fox. Mm -hmm. So then suddenly every production company wanted anyone in their 20s to host a talk show. And I was signed by Westinghouse. Was no, it just no, women? No. Oh, man, women and men. No, oh, okay. No, the guy, uh, Mark Wahlberg, the other oh, Mark right. Wahlberg right, who right, hosts right. Temptation Island. Yeah. Um, uh, n- no, there were other guys, too. It was mostly women. It yeah. was Tempest Bledsoe, uh, Gabrielle Carteris, me. Um, there were so many people had talk yeah. shows. Uh, it was just a huge, huge fad, like a trend. Yeah. So I did the pageant show in San Francisco. I hosted a a talk show for 65 episodes and we aired at 1.30 in the morning. And um, through that, I I got an agent in Los Angeles and uh, moved to Los Angeles in 1996. Wow. And told what? that agent, I want to pursue acting, not hosting. And he started sending me on acting auditions. Well, that's I'd, good. Because usually you tell them what, you, they only set you up with what, no, what I mean, they usually oh, yeah. set you up with no. what works. Yeah. Like, what, ah, you don't want to act. Make, how yeah. am I going to make my 10%? Right, right, that's right. That's what they're thinking. Yes, exactly. And it's kind of like, why don't you just do more of the thing that somebody already paid you for? Which you know? I understand now. Yeah, Because yeah. that's what I want to do now. Uh, <laughs> 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 what was, I mean, was the talk show just kind of your standard sort of, you know, Uh, cheating boyfriends kind of, oh, wow. Yeah. And was was, it fun or was it sort of, did you? I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was, I um, had a microphone in the audience, you know, it was a live audience, 150 people, maybe Mm -hmm. Uh, a panel, you know, chairs up to 14 guests. It was, we had a drag queen uh, fashion show, like, uh, like Ms. Paget. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we had, I love him. Why do my parents hate him? We had, you know, this guy, um, Dave Green and his 15, uh, polygamists, the, the polygamy family from Utah, oh, wow. and his wives. And, you know, we did, we did all of that stuff, yeah, everything yeah. that everybody was doing. And then, and then it got really Jerry Springer, suddenly things were getting violent and, um, uh, Westinghouse hired these uh, hired these producers and said, you know, we need fights. We need fights if we're going to take this national. And I just would never let. I would just never let anyone 
fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was what bartending was really good for. You can see when someone and they produced it so that these people would end up physically fighting each other. And I sure. could see it coming and I would just run up to the stage and put my leg on the chair arm between the two people about to fight. And they're not going to hit me. Yeah, yeah. So it was and I learned that from bartending um, all the years that I was bartending uh, that that uh, it's easier for me to stop a fight between uh Anyone, two guys, two girls, a guy and a girl. It's easier for the bartender because no one wants to hit the bartender. Like mm -hmm. now you get no booze. Right, right, right. So it's like, and most people don't want to fight. Yeah. Most people are waiting for an excuse to not have to get into a physical fight. So, yeah. so the pageant show was only one year, 65 episodes. And then I moved to LA. But, and I, but you know, you then probably had somewhat of a little nest egg to move down to LA and get started. And, you know, and, and, and was that weird? Did you have people in LA or, or were you kind of, you know, no. getting off the bus with your cardboard suitcase and your I did, sundress? You know, I, did. I had just gotten my driver's license. Wow. At, I was 26. Yeah. 96. No, I was 27. Uh-huh. I was Moved here in 96. So I was 27 years old. I'd just gotten my driver's license. I had saved, I think I had saved $5,000. Wow. And I uh, got an apartment on Poinsettia Place in Hollywood in kind of a, there was some criminal element. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, but I had an agent before I got here. And that agent uh, uh, was great and probably did illegal things like lied to network, set me on auditions uh, and then uh, would say, no, she's not going to do that TV show. She has a development deal with ABC, yeah, which was a lie. And then NBC was like, wait, she's not going to do this. She just auditioned for, for a show and you won't let her test. Nope. She's. Got an overall deal at ABC. So NBC's like, well, we, we'll give her an overall deal. Then what do you, what do you, and then he's like, okay. And then calls Fox and says, hey, there's this new kid in town, the feeding frenzy, all these development <laughs> deals. You might be interested. And he just, he just fabricated. Awesome. Fantastic. Oh, brilliant. You should have paid him 11%. I should have. Yeah. He's in my will. I'm working on my will oh, really? right now. Oh, that's I'm sending good. him a little, good. a little party money, like, hey, go on a nice vacation <laughs> with your kids. Thanks. Thanks for the leg up. Yeah. Now, is this a time, because I know, because I know from when I worked with you on Andy Richter Controls the Universe, look it up, folks, way before it's time. Way before it's time. Uh, which people tell <laughs> me that. And I'm up. always like, well, that doesn't, that's not really comforting. Like you were, that was way before it's time. It's kind of like, I mean, it's nice and I understand it, but it's sort of like, is it really? I don't know. I mean, you know, it just feels like it just felt like wrong, you know, or it didn't work. And I mean, and there's all these things that go into it, like whether or not it gets supported or whether or not it gets understood or whatever. And I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a, a some sort of complicated algorithm. It was just a show with cutaways, you know, but you know, whatever. When people say to you ahead of its time, you feel like you're hearing uh, it just was the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Hear, like I if hear. only you had waited five years 
but to do that show. Happen. I know. It's like, that doesn't happen. And I, I'm not going <laughs> to sit around waiting five years like, oh, man, I'm good. I met this guy that's got this idea for a show and I'm going to help him put it together. But let's just wait five years, you know. It's wait till the time is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait till <laughs> the rest of the world catches up with us. Us visionaries. Of, Can uh, people see it? Is it on like a Fox? I FX? think so. It, I it's think it's on YouTube or somewhere. I mean, it was on DVD, but and people ask me that, and I don't know because I don't. I hate looking at myself, so I, 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 I you know. Uh, hopefully, maybe like I'll become gravely ill and my children will seek it out and then oh, we'll find out. <laughs> uh, no, but anyway, back to the back to the topic. I knew you a little bit because you were dating somebody that I knew through the Chicago diaspora, the yes. Chicago comedy diaspora. So we had met. Yes, I had met you before. We knew yeah. each other socially. Yes, exactly. But then uh, I got connected with Victor Fresco, who created... Andy Richter controls the universe. Mm -hmm. He had worked with you on a previous show mm -hmm. that did like six episodes or something like that. Yes, we had something done. Like that. We had done Trouble with Normal. Yeah, and you played a shrink with a bunch yes. of goofballs. A bunch uh, of yeah, 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 a bunch of people with anxiety. Uh, yeah, issues. So. But he wrote this part for you, the part of Jessica, my boss and friend for for you. That's what I've heard. But the thing that we heard from the network was, and this this is just still among all the dumb shit I've ever heard. She's been involved in a lot of pilots that didn't go. True. That was true. So we we're not going to cast her. Uh -huh. She's good. Oh, undeniably. Yeah, she's great. She, the part was written for, oh, well, I can see why. She's really great. And just because she's been on other shows that have a hundred other reasons to fail, you're going to punish her by not letting her do our show? <laughs> yep, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So we cast another woman in that role who was a lovely, talented actress, but just not right and as good. And then when it came to the end of that, and I apologize to her if, if she's listening, I'm not going to see her, but you know, but- the part was meant for you and they they let us hire you you know in that like it was like that they were like you know like all right we'll you know we'll let you move away from <laughs> from that open flame so as not to burn yourself like they were doing a big favor it's like no we okay thank you for letting us do this thing that will be good for everyone involved that and was that, tough. That was because I that, did on I auditioned thing, three with, times. Yeah, and that thing with the pilots. Tell me about like the, how the how you can be successful enough to get in a bunch of pilots, but then have that be your fault. Oh, I mean, look the the only the the two people I knew of who were called show killers for a while were myself and John Cryer. Wow. And we both overcame uh, the stink of failure that surrounded us like yeah. a cloud. It, it was, uh, we both did a lot of pilots. It wasn't just pilots. We were called pilot killers, but we would, we did pilots and then we would do shows that the pilot was picked up, but we were canceled by the third or sixth episode. So executives start to think, oh, uh, what if it's just, 
uh, you know, bad mojo. What if it's easier to blame? Let's 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 blame a couple of actors as show killers. Call them show killers. Then we don't have to worry about anyone thinking we made a poor choice with right. writers or producers or directors or sets or time slots or advertising or, you know, it's it's. Um, yeah. Or our own stupid fucking ideas that we impose on people. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And and listen, there are, there are great executives and there, there, sure are. there are bad executives. Yeah. Um the one out there's a lot more of one than the other though. I, I, I won't say which, I don't know, but you know. I don't know what they're I don't know what they are supposed to do. Oh, I mean so, I will I will give them that. If I had to run a network, it would tank. Like if I, I program <laughs> things, it would all just be well, first of all, it would just be my friends. <laughs> uh, but you know, like I wouldn't pick name a big hit sitcom right now. If you brought that to me and said, I mean, don't I don't mean really name them. Just you out there uh, right. listening to this, name one. <laughs> I if you brought that to me, I would go ick. No, Ugh. <laughs> terrible. You know, hacky bullshit. Get out of here. Whereas. They, those are like, love it, can't get enough. Two spoons, yum, yum, yum. Uh, so I would be terrible at it, but it still, it still baffles me how there's this whole business of people that hire talented, talented people, good-looking people, you know, people that you enjoy watching, and then they know better than all of those people at what you know at, at them doing what they do what they were hired to do mm-hmm. but you know yeah i yeah i it's, I, it's I don't you know, know i mean you know we're on the other side too it's true we are we are we are you know we're enemies yes we're essentially enemies yes and and also to say like to call you a, a pilot killer is part of a show killer it, or show that's what killer. It was. It was show, show killer. Show killer. That's what. Yeah. John, to call you and John Cryer uh, show killers is mm-hmm. part of a system mm-hmm. that says when you say when someone a, a young executive finds someone like you or a John Cryer and comes in and says, "Hey, I found this this person, this thing, this idea, this script," and it uh, to me it seems really good. Everybody above them says, who else has spent money on them? And Mm -hmm. because they have to, like, you can't just go. I mean, it's the same reason everything's superheroes now. Because if you say, oh, man, I have this great noirish script that's just full of twists and turns and really rock solid. Oh, yeah. It was ever a comic book. No, no. It's just a script. Well, fuck you. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with people. It's like, have they made a ton of money for somebody else? And because you had been in these things that were, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know in these <laughs> things that, you know, for some reason or another, the thousand reasons that things go bad, but it's your fault because you were there because you happened to be there. And it's so fucking crazy. It's so dumb. You know, it's like. I love watching you. I love watching you go crazy. I love it so much. It's just, I think I just, and then it's like, I get metaphor mad where I'm like, you know, like just cause a sandwich shop went bad. Doesn't mean the ham's terrible. (laughs) Sell the ham somewhere else. What the fuck? You know, it's like maybe the sandwich shop was poorly run. The guy had a gambling problem. That makes the ham bad. (laughs) 
Anyhow. Well, anyway, it worked out because, I mean, to a, to a sort of a, you know, a half-assed way in that we got a couple of really wonderful, that was truly one of the top jobs ever. Like for me was just oh ours our yes, show yes our, yeah I agree. just the fun Absolutely. of it and just the you know the, the just how how nice it was and how fun it was and how it was. we did get two mid seasons out of it and that was just because Gail Berman who was running the network at the time begged and pleaded for them to give us another network but it, beyond her it was just like a group of these kind of beef eaten men who were like where's the titties. You know, where's the cars that blow up? <laughs> and I remember there was some sort of, there was some sort of show on that, like, I, 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 want, I want to say, like, it was a show created by Mick G or somebody like that, that was just all car explosions. Wait, that sounds so and, familiar. And I think titties. there was. It was, no, yeah, not, no seriously, was. at that exact same time. And yeah. that was the show that they were like, this is going to be it. They I were think, putting all their money behind, all their I, advertising. Yeah, everything I think Peter was Scolari show. was in it. I don't remember what Peter it was called. Peter Scolari was yeah. in it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, somebody could look it up. You know, what, whatever that was, that was, you know, 2001, wow. I, I, but that, 2002. That did happen. Yeah. That did and happen. it was just, it was this dumb show with like lots of cars, lots of girls in bikinis and lots of explosions. And that's, that's from my shorthand for it was exploding titty that like, that's what they really were looking for was exploding titty. And, <laughs> and listen, there's we, we a had place no, in the world. There is a place absolutely. in the world for exploding and the, titties. And there is quality exploding titty. You know, like there's really good exploding Sometimes titty. It's done very well. Yeah, but but it's just like not everything has to be that, and we certainly did not have that. But wasn't Victor even? Wasn't wasn't Victor Fresco our our EP our boss? Wasn't he nominated for a, a, an Emmy after our show was canceled? Like we yeah we got he was a, nominated a, for writing or an we got episode a, yeah, or, we got, yeah we got we got a nomination for a writing Emmy. You know, but I mean, but they've done that. The Ben Stiller show, they gave them the writing Emmy after they were canceled. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. so it's 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 been done before. So mm-hmm. but anyway, I mean, we both, um, you know, we both we are paid tra- our doozies. We both are trapped in our houses speaking into microphones now. Uh, so things worked <laughs> so out. It all evens out. <laughs> we really we worked out for both of us. Um, I just spoke uh, on a Zoom with John Cryer a few nights oh, ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. They're doing fun. Now. I used to I used to see him in the Warner Brothers gym, and it was always so lovely to see him. He's uh, great. Yeah, he's, he's great. a wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. So then after that, though, your career took a turn towards the dark. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you descended into criminality and the psychology surrounding it. And I'm, I'm so happy I did. <laughs> Was that now? And I'm talking, of course, about Criminal Minds, um, yes. which, which you, you, it was a rocky road on that show. I, I, I think undeniably, you know, like yes. you were on the ins then you were on the outs and you were uh-huh. back on the ins. Yes. Um, and, uh, and was that, how did you feel going from doing comedy and being so gifted in comedy Aww. to then doing these kind of uh, procedural sort of, you know, super hyper drama kind of show? Um, I loved it. Oh, you I did? was ecstatic. Yeah. yeah. I had, I think I joined Criminal Minds and I joined Criminal Minds in, I think, the ninth episode of the second season. So that was 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, I had met everybody when they were shooting the pilot for Criminal Minds in Vancouver because I was shooting a made-for-TV movie. So I'd hung out with the cast. Mm. Um, and uh, then 
uh, a year and a half goes by. I thought I'm, uh, actors do movies. I should do movies. I'm not going to do any more TV. I'm going to do movies. And so I did three movies back to back and they all needed reshoots and they were all kind of messy. And so I was flying back and forth, uh, Austin, Texas, uh, uh, fly to LA, drive to Lancaster, go shoot this movie in New Orleans. And I was in New Orleans um, in 2005 and my agent called and said, uh, uh, would you be interested in meeting on this show called Criminal Minds? Um, And it was on the TV. Like, I don't know how it was already in a repeat, but the pilot episode was playing. It might've been on A&E already or something. Uh, And... uh, and I said, yes, of course, I'll, I, I would love to meet with them because I realized movies are, this is not for me. Yeah. It's just flying around, living in a hotel and trying to do your laundry. And yeah. there still was a lot of misogyny on set. So it's, you know, how do you, how do you avoid these people on mm-hmm. location? Like, it just wasn't for me. And I And I there's realized, no continuity. It's not even like you can deal with the misogyny no. and then continue, you know, like yeah. make your workplace better because yeah, everybody's no. going to be gone. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's all, and people, like, people are having affairs on location, you know, and I just, I don't want to see it, I don't want to be around it, I don't want to yeah. know, I just want to go to a job where I drive to work, I go in every day, I know everybody, hey, Hal, you know, hey, Georgie, you know, yeah. and you and you do your job and you're all working towards something, so I realize that I don't need, you know, if a, if a great movie comes along and I can do, you know, pop that out in a couple of, you know, once a year, twice, not even twice a year, I, I very rarely do them, I prefer TV, mm-hmm. so I met with the... I met with the um, the the producers and writers and the creator or the not the creator the creator of Criminal Minds was fired for I think he said something on Facebook that he was gonna murder one of his writers so the guy who created it Oops. just gets money forever and never ran the show. Um, no note to you aspiring <laughs> writers out there. <laughs> Get fired after the first episode. You're creating something. You yeah. created it. Oh, money for yeah, yeah. Um So. So I met with the people at Criminal Minds and 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 um I I was the, I was one of those people that that read everything about serial killers. I watched every documentary and interview series and true crime and I, I loved it. I ate it up. That's your two spoons, eat it up. Mm-hmm. I was that gal. Yeah. And so when I met with and also all I did on on location going Everywhere was I was watching Law and Order and I just I appreciated it so much. I was like, this makes me feel like I'm home. I have this I can count on every night, no matter what city I'm in. I can just I can watch this show and I know gong gong. I've got my friends <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy myself. And there was something comforting about it. And so right. when I met with the people at Criminal Minds. They started saying, oh, you know, where this is uh, typical of a case. It would be a case like this. And, you know, this this is what's happening with our killer. This is the show we're working on this week. And I said, oh, I, I that's based on the toy box killer. And they said, what? I said, it's based on and I, I, re- I remembered his name then. I don't now. And I mm-hmm. said, oh, this guy and his common law wife uh, was in Kansas in 1987. And they were a little appalled. But they said, they said, how do you know that? about that case and i was like oh i read everything and i think that was it i think that's when they thought uh she's on she's on to us we better shut her up (laughs) she's on to us that we're ripping off real crimes and we need to get her in here to just shut her up shove a paycheck in her mouth (laughs) they said 
They said, do you have any questions for us? And I said, and I really hope I don't get in trouble for this. Um, I said, uh, my only question is, uh, how crazy is Mandy Patinkin? Because he was the lead on that show at the time. And, you know, everyone heard stories about Mm -hmm. him. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. He's you'll love him. He's not a crazy. It's not that kind of crazy. He just sometimes doesn't want to do what we wrote. And, you know, he can be he can be testy about things that he doesn't agree with. But he's incredible and he's a great actor and you'll love him. You'll you guys will sing show tunes together and you'll have a great time. And they were 100 percent right. Okay. I loved working with Mandy. I would work with Mandy again. Yeah, uh, yeah. Drop of a hat. I think he's fabulous. But he's a, you know, he's he's a dramatic, interesting character. And yeah. I can see how it, it can lead to difficulties. A capital um, A actor, that's for sure. But he's absolutely worth it. So that was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and I, 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 uh, I say good for you for asking that because it, and, and usually that kind of question where you corn it, you're not just like, yes, yes, whatever it takes. Yes, yes, whatever it takes. Yeah, no. They don't like, they honestly don't really want that. If you want, if you say. Oh, I don't know. You think they respected it? I think they do. Oh. I think that whether they know it or not, I have always felt that whenever I've said no or or created a boundary or said, hey, fellas, uh, I, here's a question about something, and that which is me taking care of myself, yeah, and making sure that you know I'm not getting fucked over here. Mm-hmm. I think they always kind of are like, oh, oh, okay, you know, and then <laughs> because I think if you, as Margaret Atwood puts it, present rearward, that is a a, a continual invitation, a like you know in perpetuity invitation huh. to get effed in the a um and so i i I, that's what i think it was probably i mean in addition to knowing about killers and murderers and in a way that was unsettling uh to them obviously (laughs) no uh, i think you might be right i think the idea uh, maybe the distilled idea is i care enough about me and my quality of life to ask this question Mm -hmm. whether it loses me the job or not and also i don't need you necessarily yeah. you know mm-hmm. like uh, if if this doesn't happen i'll be okay i think and that's i didn't and, and i was yeah. lucky i don't have kids i don't have ailing parents my in-laws are healthy you know it's i was not in a i, I was allowed to find out is this something i want to do are these the people i want to be around and number one on the call sheet it sort of dictates what's going on on a set as mm-hmm. evidenced by you on the show we did mm-hmm which was a lovely experience because you're generous and grateful and funny and invested and interested and talented. Like you were the best number one on the call sheet to 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 make sure a set ran well and with respect and love and joy. Oh, thank you. It's important to me. It's important Mm -hmm. to me. I always feel that regardless of where I am in the hierarchy, uh, I am a. I went to film school. I, I I like to think of myself as a member of the crew. We're all members of the crew. However, grips don't get their own room and their own toilet. So I'm yeah. in a, I'm a very lucky, privileged member mm-hmm. of the crew. But also too, 
lot, there's lots of people that can do the grips job. There's not as many people that can do the job that I'm doing. So it's like, I understand, you know, there's kind of, you know, it is based on sort of free market ideas in terms of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also have always felt and felt disappointed by people who are in a similar situation who don't realize this. I always feel that morale is my job. Maybe not my my first job, but it is certainly a big part of my job. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I think that other than just like I always liked it when I worked for nice bosses that made me, you know, nice bosses. I'll do anything you want. Not anything, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'll work. Yeah. I'll work. I'll and I'll be happy to be here because you're appreciating me. Mm-hmm. Shitty bosses. Fuck them. I, you know, I need yeah. some paper towels. I'm stealing these paper towels, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's and I have always felt that if if you're in the top echelon and you ignore your in 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 production, I suppose it could apply to, you know, the, the auto body shops and stuff. But if you're at the top and you're not concerned about the everyday workday experience mm-hmm. of everybody involved you are being derelict in your duties and you're, you're, you're committing malpractice. I agree uh, 100%. And because also too, it just, it's like I've always found, even if you are the most crass, you know, all people are to me are just machines that I can get productivity out of. Nothing works better than kindness. Even if all you give a shit about people that work for mm. you is to just get them to work, be nice to them. <laughs> you know, like being, pay them a little better than they think they should be paid or that the rest of the world will pay them. Yeah. And it'll, it'll come back to you. I just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's always been such a simple thing. Um, well, now, uh, you know, I don't know exactly the ins and outs. And we t- I talked about a little bit the sort of yet back and forth with with criminal minds. Uh, mm. Do you want to address that at all? Like how that happened and how that I'm more concerned about like. What it made you feel like, like what your feelings were from those not on the show, back on the show kind of whirlwind. It's been it's been documented. There was a backdoor pilot with uh, Forrest Whitaker on Criminal Minds that was going to be a new Criminal Minds show. And we all just kind of think, oh, well, it's the first time Les Moonves has seen who no longer is the president of CBS. First time he's seen the show and seven years or something and oh, right. six years. I don't know that, that he just said, uh, I want the new, new women, new women agents, those agents, give me new, I want some new women. Mm. And, um, the, I wonder uh, why. Well, he claimed, <laughs> they claimed it was a cost cutting measure, but I, we all, the women all made a, a third of yeah. half of what yeah, you know, we yeah. weren't. So, so it wasn't a cost cutting measure. It was some silly whim, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. And the fans got upset and they signed a petition. And um, my my agent uh, did some fancy footwork and um, I uh, was let go after I had think I had done. I had made a deal to finish out at 17 episodes of the year. Mm-hmm. And my uh, co-star, AJ Cook, had been let go. She was with a different agent who she has since left, um, uh, who didn't do fancy footwork and, you know, uh, so I, I was fired and I was gone. And, um, um, 
I, I, uh, I got, I was really mad. We were both really mad and it was because, you know, we did everything right. And we were team players. We were early. We knew our lines. We did the work. We were there every day. We didn't, you know, leave early or show up late or we weren't rude. We weren't, you know, we didn't have lawsuits against us for sexual harassment. Like we did everything right. Yeah. And we're let go. And our showrunner ultimately quit uh, that year, just saying the network's not even going to let me ha have my own show. I don't want to fucking be here anymore. Yeah. So, um, but I do, I was so angry for so long and I held on to it. You know how, how Conan like held on to that yeah. rage of, and it just, it, it just, you're poisoning yourself. Like, mm -hmm. but it's so hard to get through. And the only person I could like, think of that had that had felt that unfairness like that just a sledgehammer to your life and your sense of self and you did everything you were and supposed to do and it just it fucks you up yeah. and the only the only person i could think of was conan because i'd seen you know what what happened there and but i still couldn't get past my anger and i i feel like it took a couple years before yeah. before i could move away from such resentment. Yeah. Did Joe and, and Conan have conversations about it? No, no, no. Oh. I just, I witnessed and I felt like I understood his pain. Yeah. And I also started to see, oh, wait, I feel like he was maybe hurting too long. His hurting may be hurting him. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I felt like he was helping me to stop being so angry because I started to feel empathy. Like I always understood his anger, but at a certain point I felt like I was watching this person who I think is a lovely person knowing him through you. Mm -hmm. um, like, Oh, I, I think he might, this might be, he's now in it so long. It's hurting. He's hurting himself. You know yeah, what I, I mean? Think, I think, I mean, cause believe me, he and I don't, we didn't have lots of conversations about mm -hmm. this. Um, but I think you're right, and I think it's something that I observe too. And I think that he did that he has done over the, over time a good job of of cleansing himself of it. He did. I think of, he did. Yeah, stepping away from it because it is. You're both in a situation too. I mean, I obviously was closer to his, but you're both in a situation where it's really hard to complain to anyone else in the universe about this wrong that's been committed against you <laughs> because you have a lot of money. You yeah. you're, you're talking about a big TV show. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. in relative terms, you've got a lot of money compared to anybody else. Mm -hmm. You've been on TV. You still have lots of opportunities laid out before you, but you're still a human being who got kicked in the crotch mm -hmm. and who got fucked over and who got treated shitty. And mm -hmm. who, again, like you said, did all the right things. Yeah. Did, what do you want me to do? Here you go. I did it. And then maybe a little bit more for extra credit. Oh, yeah. By the way, we're fucking you over anyway. <laughs> that's I mean, that that hurts and that yeah. stings and that makes you angry. Yeah. And that makes you, you know, I, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it, it, it can sort of and then you can kind of, you know, you get reinforcement for that hurt by you know a lot and from a lot of different areas and a lot of people you know fans writing petitions and campaigns yeah, yeah. and things mm -hmm. so you feel like well i'm right to be this hurt and yeah you are but like at a certain point 
who are you hurting? Like you're, I, yeah. you know, who's your I, grudge? I think, hurting? Yeah, I, I started hurting myself. Not, I mean, not yeah. physically. I wasn't, right. you know, uh, doing drugs or cutting or anything. But right. I was emotionally, it just was a toxicity in my system for too long. Mm-hmm. And I did, I finally let it go. But just by, I just by letting it move through my body, almost like, it's like an illness. I had an yeah. illness and I had those, I had some shitty symptoms for a couple of years and then it, yeah. it moved through my system. I didn't go to therapy for it. I wasn't in therapy. I was, I went and got other shows. I was where I was on other shows. I did a year of community. I did two years of another period. I did a year of grandfathered. I did, you know, I did other shows Yeah, and yeah. then had gotten past my anger uh, and had, had agreed to come back and guest star because uh, they had asked me to come back. I just kept saying, no, that's how pissed I was. Yeah. And when I finally got through it four years later, they asked me if I would agree to guest star. They were saying, please come back to the show. And I was like, no, <laughs> you, you, you kicked me in the tit. And so <laughs> then finally, when I gotten past it, they said, well, will you guest star? And I was like, okay. But you got to pay me what you pay yeah. me. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, now, yeah, like yeah. mad. And I'm going to have a. So, <laughs> and I'm going to cover up my tits. <laughs> yeah. No more kicking. <laughs> Don't you kick my tit. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I agreed to come back and, and guest star. And I loved everybody there. I was happy with everybody there. It wasn't, yeah. That wasn't the problem. It was like some unknown Darth Vader at CBS that I assume is Les Moonves because it's easier to blame it on that guy. Right, In the right. same way that I was a show killer for some show, it's easier to blame it on Paget than maybe we picked the wrong director. I don't know. So I was guest starring and Thomas Gibson was let go for uh, something that I wasn't a party to. And he had been the leader of the unit in the, mm-hmm. in the his character was the leader of, of uh, the behavioral analysis unit in, in uh, the crime eyes, the crime eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I was there that week and they, they were like, oh, God, what are we going to do? We have to shoot ABC, let him go. And, we gotta, uh, and so uh, I, I basically sort of did his, you know, uh, did his part for the episode to 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 make it cohesive. And then every the showrunner said, now, please come back. Please come back now, because without him, mm-hmm. we're going to have to get another series regular to do that job. And right now, your character is running, um, you know, Interpol in London. Yeah. Uh, it turns out I wasn't dead after all, after getting that table leg through the spine. Um, when I was, when I was fired. Um, so, so. What a way to fire so, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so she, th- she said, please come back because if it's not you, we are going to have to hire someone else. And everyone here is pr- really very happy. Yeah. And I, the whole cast was saying the same thing. Please don't let them hire Dick. Why yeah. can't it be you? And I'd spent four years of people, fans coming up to me in the supermarket and asking for hugs and saying, why are you gone? Why did you leave? Yeah, yeah. So that week when they presented it to me, I was like, why am I gone? I, I'm good at this part. Mm-hmm. I love these people. I, I love this show. Yeah. I, you know, it's not Shakespeare, but it makes people happy and it's fulfilling. And it's like, this is a good gig. Yeah. And I do want my job back and so it was this you know it was a lot but it was all even the bad parts were good um Mm -hmm. and it was was it healing like did you feel like the saying yes yeah yes yes and and coming back and 
Did your representative say it's going to cost you, though? Like, was there any of that, like, vindictive pricing on you coming Oh, no, back? that was all me. Oh. <laughs> they, they, were, um, they were like, oh, this is a great price settle. And I was like, fuck you. They uh. need me more than I need them. And we did nice. actually get into a fight. I'm no longer with that agent, but I had to send her several thousand dollars worth of uh, sh- gift shoes because I yelled at her on the phone a lot in front of people. It was bad. But yeah. I really was strident that I was not going to come back. I didn't right. need to come back. And I was only going to come back if I was paid not even as much as all of the men just you have to give me a raise you have to pay me more than you were paying me before right and this is what this is what the 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 person who left was making and i know i'm not going to make that but i need to make more than mm-hmm. what i did when you can but also and it why was not fight. why not make what he's making like well, what that in, was never going to happen we still weren't I, there i know in the but world, in what, we still weren't there. i know but it, it, it's still it's it's outrageous it's yeah. just it, it's continuing outrage like that everyone goes well of course you won't make what thomas gibson makes it's like why the fuck yeah. not well but i do but i do understand the fact of the matter was he was there the whole time and yeah. he he did have an enormous uh, value to that yeah, show yeah. and he was great at that character he yeah. was great as Hotch. So I understood. I just didn't put in as much time. So no, I'm not. I get yeah. that. Right, right. Um, so it, but it was an extremely satisfying. And also, this is one of the last shows that that pays uh, royalty. I'm pointing to my TV like, you know where my TV is. <laughs> that pays residuals. So yeah. this pandemic, we were still, you know, we were we were able to to save money and pay our mortgage and pay our bills because we have royalties coming in. From, yeah, yeah. From Criminal Minds. That's great. I, you know, so yeah, it was definitely something I was, and I hope that it comes back. We've been talking to Paramount Plus about relaunching it as a streaming series, doing ten episodes a year, and it sounds like we're getting close. But part of the 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 problem with this show and the firings and everything was it's CBS and ABC and Mark Gordon oh, yeah, and there yeah. are a lot of entities. So it's a, gets watered. It's down. really hard. It's not easy. It's not ABC yeah. for ABC. Yeah. Well, uh, I've been I've kept you a long time, so we better That's move right. on to. The uh, what's next in the Paget Brewster saga? Like, what is, is there something you're not doing that you want to do, or is you know, is there <laughs> Criminal Minds? What do you limited run you series say, yo, for Paramount well, Plus? Crimin- <laughs> I, I'm not signing that contract today, um, and I wish I were. So yeah, yeah. I, I would really like that. I would love for that to happen because we would all love to get back together. And yeah, we would love to do that show, um, but not. I can't do 22 episodes of anything yeah. anymore. I, I yeah. could do a multicam, but even Multicams have changed. Yeah. Um, I I would be I would be happy. Okay, in an ideal world, I would do a multicam with a live audience yeah. that I loved and thought was really funny and brilliant and 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 exciting, but I don't know if those days will return because I don't know. I mean, with COVID protocols and with it just seems like I don't know that the possibility of that has been suspended. And maybe there's so many cooks in the kitchen now mm-hmm. that I don't know if great sitcoms are coming. Yeah. So that would be my dream. Um, Criminal Minds 10 episodes a year. That would be my dream. Otherwise, I uh, r- really love doing animation and narration. Mm-hmm. And I want to be like, audible's number one voice for crime narration like i want to do 
docu-series and I loved that Disney show doing that Disney um, the the show you saw behind the attraction yeah, about yeah. B- making the rides I love it and and yeah. part of it is I'm 53 I don't want to stop drinking wine and eating cheese and lose weight and be in front of the camera I don't want to dye my hair anymore yeah I don't want to put high heels on and try and hit my mark and find my life I'm a, I've become because I put in a lot of work and because I you know, I did go, I go, went back to Criminal Minds and it, it was, it's back into 15 hours a day, 16 hours a day. And I would love to do it again for 10 episodes, but I'm tired mm-hmm. and I love doing voices. And I work with so many people who do voices and they just want to act. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, get out of the way. Yeah. I've saved money because I knew I was going to age out of this profession, but this voice thing as long as no one kicks me in the throat yeah knock wood hopefully i can keep doing this because i find it extremely satisfying yeah. i love table reads yeah for animation i love i will substitute for anyone in a table read for animation mm. i love it yeah yeah what about you me yeah oh gosh i don't know you know uh my life uh I mean, work-wise right now, uh, in terms of, like, what I want, I want to work. I have, you know, I have struggled forever about, like, I should be creating more things and then feeling like, nah, it's not really what I do. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I work better on assignment. I work better coming into a situation. It's not, I was an improviser, not a stand-up. I work mm-hmm. better in groups. Uh, you know, most of my best writing has been, I've never touched the keyboard. There's been people sitting in a room and there's one, you know, there's like an intern typing in what we're mm-hmm. all saying because we're bouncing things off each other and being inspired by each other. I don't like loneliness. I don't like, you know, the notion of writing my own things sounds great, but then when I sit down to do it, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, what about the people, the friends, the laughs, you know? So work-wise, and I got, I, I'm also lucky enough to have irons and lots of fires. I have hosted game shows. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, you know, am now pursuing more. I've directed commercials, and I'm pursuing that again now that I have more time uh, with the Conan Show. And I would love to parlay that into directing television because I'm absolutely assured of my ability to do it in a very competent way. Because you would. part, yeah, part absolutely, of, you would. You would be pa- great. Thank you. Part of making the Conan Show for all those years, and one of the Greatest gifts that he gave me was inviting me into the creative process of that show, into the into being, and I refer to myself sometimes in a grandiose way as the comedy consigliere. I was the guy <laughs> that he would go, "Does this joke work?" And I would say yes, and then he'd go, "Okay," like and and it's it's I would I would want the same thing if I were in his position because you can look at something and think that's really funny. And then you turn to three people you respect and they go, no, it's not. And you go, oh, right. OK, sorry. Ah. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. or you can go or, I, uh, you know, there's the inverse that sucks. And everyone's like, what are you nuts? That's hilarious. Oh, OK. You know, <laughs> everybody has a capacity to be wrong. So it's very helpful to have somebody that you have a kind of rock solid belief in that you can go. I, I'm lost here. What do you think? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. No. All right. No, then fuck it. We're not going to do it. Um, so he gave me the gift of being able to make television. 
Mm-hmm. And we, I did it for thousands and thousands of hours. Mm-hmm. You know, I fixed things on the fly, you know, troubleshot, you know, troubleshooted things. Um, so I, I would love to be able to direct television. Everybody says that, though. So it's like I, I'm not like out, you know, screaming it in the streets or anything. But I also, too, I also I love acting. You I know? think you have the pedigree for it because because. A lot of the actors on Criminal Minds directed episodes, direct episodes, and they, all of them, did an incredible job. First time directing, they'd never directed it. They directed Criminal Minds. They have a support system and they have an understanding of the show. But yeah. it's the history. It's a it's the observation of how everyone has behaved and succeeded and failed. Mm-hmm. And you have put in all the hours. And I, I am a victim of the same thing. You are that idea of. And it's why you're so astonished with Chelsea Peretti. She created it. She's directing it. She's starting yeah. this idea. Make your own content. Like everyone's yelling that at us all the time. Like make your own content. Con- Agents are like, can you make your own content? Like, yeah. they, you know, that I can commission. But uh, I, I can't. I've tried. I have yeah. written pilots. I have written three pilots. I have taken them out. I have met with production companies and and uh, managers and studios. And I have worked with a, a screenwriting couple to create a movie. And it doesn't, it just doesn't, it hasn't worked. And yeah. if you're creating, also no one wants new content. No one wants any new content right now. Everything mm-hmm. is intellectual property. There is no, here's a new show idea. No one wants it. No one will yeah. take a chance on it. Everything has to be, oh, Clifford the Big Red Dog? Oh, uh, Happy Days? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Marvel Universe? Yeah, oh, yeah. it has to be something that has made money in the past. So I yeah. I hear the same, make your own content, but I've tried and it, it doesn't, I'm not saying it wouldn't work for you. I'm saying it's a waste of your time. I think it, you should be pursuing directing because you would be extraordinary at it and you're able to talk to everyone and every department. You can answer questions that quickly. I have no desire to to direct. The idea yeah. of 50 people coming at me with questions is I I that I'd rather bartend. <laughs> no joke, no joke. I'd rather bar, I I'd rather yeah. bartend. I do. I am a little. It is a little daunting to me because I do uh, enjoy the downtime that one enjoys as an actor. You, you know, don't like, get that as a director. You, you do not get that as a director, and I just would have to get used to that. But in the spaces when I have been a director, and I just said spaces like a fucking tool, but you know, in the in the times well, that I've been a director, uh, that you're not uh, a tool. I know. You've I know. You've never but, said anything to make you sound like a tool. But anyway, yeah. But if I heard this, I'd be like, spaces. Who are you what are you a yoga instructor uh in in the times that i've directed i have truly enjoyed it and it's been exciting and there's like this kind of almost this feeling of beat the clock like you know we got 12 hours to do this thing and it's like then we're cutting coming down oh i gotta adjust something oh you know what let's just collapse these two scenes together kind of stuff and i that's thrilling to me i do love that so there's that but also too mostly for me you know, in in my future, it's it's mostly my personal life. I, uh, you know, I recently got divorced and my kids are, you know, one's off into college. The other is going off to college soon. So there, uh, there's a lot of blank slates in front of me mm-hmm. that I just kind of, what's always worked for me in the past is just to be open and to, to be reactive. And not, I've never, very rarely have I ever like, forced something good into happening. I was mm-hmm. there when it presented myself and I said, 
that sounds good. Yeah. Let's do that. You know, that's the same. That's the same thing I've done that you, yeah. that you, that you said earlier talking uh, today, you were like, did you have a plan or did you just, and yeah. the answer is no, I just, uh, I just uh, went with the wind and something I had looked a, good. I, and I was like, super. I had a hunch and that's cause it's the same way I was. It's mm-hmm. the same way I always was. I didn't, you know, I sat next to kids in improv class that wanted to be on SNL. And I was, I don't have the temerity to think I'm going to be on <laughs> SNL. You know, I just want to see what happens. This seems fun, you know. Yeah. Well, we well, were, when then we've been very fortunate because we didn't have a hope chest or, um, you know, make a vision board or mm-mm. whatever. Uh, we just were like, I'd like to do something that uh, is interesting and I'm going to learn something. And if it pays me money, that would be delightful. Right. I Let's see ha- what comes. I still, the number one thing I have, uh, and I, I, I think I in, I was inspired, my aunt was, you know, like my, when I was a kid, she was like my superstar. Mm-hmm. And I, in eulogizing her, uh, I came up with the phrase, she insisted on having fun. And that's like, <laughs> wow, that's, that's kind of what I feel like, you know, that's, I'm always going to try and fit that in there. I'm always going to try and, you know, um, that's Jim great. Burroughs, James Burroughs, the director. Yeah, yeah. He had, I found his this. His fun clause. His fun clause. I was just thinking that. He had the guy, Jim Burroughs, James Burroughs, the, one of the best, TV directors ever and Seinfeld, probably ever will be. Yeah. Big Bang Theory, two and a half men. Uh, uh, cheers. He had a fun clause, which was, it, and it was iron, t- ironclad, airtight. He said, if I, and he, he was the only arbiter of it. If I'm not having fun, I can walk out at any time. And he said, he and only. And take my crew. And take I my crew. I can walk out and yep. take my crew. If I am not having fun. And that's how his deals were structured yeah, to shoot pilots. He only, he said he only imposed it once. Yep. And, I remember. Uh, you can probably, you out there with, uh, with some time on your hands, you could probably look up which show it was. Uh, the one in which Jim Burroughs only worked for like half of the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, yeah, have fun. That's the thing. It's, it's well, you great. know what? What's your what? What you know the the sort of like what you've learned. Like, what do you what do you feel like is the kind of thing that you can share with people if they were to ask? Like, what's the point of it all? Oh, you know, I was thinking about this because I knew what your podcast was. Um, I'm too busy uh, cooking and watching Top Chef to listen to one. Forgive so, me. Uh, listen, I, I love I, you. I, I love li- you, honey. I listen to Howard Stern. That's my <laughs> okay, podcast. Great. No, no, okay, great. You All know right, what cool. I mean? I don't. I don't. People, we like what we like. The, yeah, the podcast world. I'm. I'm an old man. Like. <laughs> You know, like I'm Milton Berle on YouTube, you know, it's, it's like, I, it's not my thing. So I enjoy doing it, but you know, uh, so anyway, go ahead. But I was thinking about this. What have you learned? And I've been thinking about it and I, 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 all I, all I can think of in, in answering that, what have you learned is I have, I, 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 I have learned that anything I've learned my imparting it doesn't help anyone. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has to learn everything as they learn it. There's no way, I, even for me to say, you know, gals, don't overpluck your eyebrows. You're going to overpluck your eyebrows and then you're going to have to figure it out. There's nothing anyone can say. I, the only things I could think of to tell you were, were um, two tips that I really enjoy. And they're like, like cleaning hacks. 
Like, otherwise I can't, there's nothing I can say. I can't say love yourself, cut yourself some slack. The things I've learned that have made my life better are all things that everybody has to learn on their own. Yeah. And you're going to fuck up. You're going to yeah. go to bed angry. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to, you. everyone is going to do something stupid because it's what we are as an yeah. animal. That's just yeah. the animal that we are. We're smart enough to create these extraordinary things and love and music and, and, and selflessness. And we're, you know, capable of wretched cruelty and manipulation. You know? So we're all going to fuck up and there's no, nothing I can tell you that you could accept you, um, you sharpen scissors by cutting aluminum foil. Wow. Now, you also take the spots off your dishes in the dishwasher by crumpling up a ball of aluminum foil. So if you have aluminum foil, you can do two great things in one day. And I love those kitchen hacks. And that's the only thing I can think of. Hopefully someone will do that and be like, wow, this is great. I've just sharpened my scissors and my dishes look better. And I learned that from Paget Brewster because everything else you have to learn on your own. You are so deep in the pocket of Reynolds wrap. It's so obvious. Oh, I wish. <laughs> How do I get them to sponsor me? Reynolds wrap. Get at Paget Brewster. You owe her money. That just Reynolds wrap through the roof. Their sales. <laughs> Who oh, has kidding. said the thing that, that they learned that has that has stuck with you the most? In your oh, interviews. Oh, boy. Is there something um, someone said that you're like, oh, my God, you I know what? that every week? Just just recently. I mean, there's been other ones, but it's like the, there's been so many uh, that it's like, and also, quite frankly, like there's people that I think, I'd like to have them on the podcast. And then I have to look up and see like, oh, right, they were here two years ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, that's just the nature of my, of my, like, my oily brain. Things slide right out of it. But, um, Steve-O from, from Jackass oh, uh -huh. was just on and he said something that about um, that the, the words enthusiasm or the word, and I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, go listen to that episode. But he said that uh, enthusiasm, like that, that those two words are like the roots are love and God, like that somehow that in like that there is. The enthusiasm is like, is like, if you love, you know, if you, if you put love out into the world, it's like, it's this, it's sort of the source, the God source. I'm, I'm saying it. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, no, I understand yeah. what you're saying. That yeah. it is, that it is getting the most profoundly close to enlightenment, probably yes, to yes. what is our universe capable of. Right. If we, if we can, because we are capable of that. We are yeah. capable of, 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 of make a choice with love as the outcome. And sometimes we're frail or angry or fearful or, but if you choose that, yeah, that would be as close to the evolution of our species as, as yeah. we can get. And that, and that maybe, you know, maybe good. within that, I mean, and I'm not a religious person, but sort of maybe in that, like, cause enthusiasm, you just think of it as like, oh, being a cheerleader or going to a sports game and going rah, rah. But it's like, no, it's, it is life force. Mm -hmm. It is saying yes to everything. It is saying like, I will actively participate. Mm -hmm. I will look for the best. I will, you know, try real hard to, 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 that's Push great. away the shit and to look towards the light. 
and and that's pretty great, you know. That and I mean, great. and it's and I mean, and of course, it's complicated by you know there being sixty seconds in every minute, and you know, life. Yeah, being but it's long, a simple you know. idea. It's yeah. a clear idea, and not a, not a mantra, but something you right. can think of. Well, like to in, to enshrine enthusiasm as mm-hmm. high as you would art or love or yeah. patriotism or bravery like it's it's and it's something from for who can you know something for me who can be a bit of a downer it's it's very, very meaningful you know golly i don't think of you as a downer eh, stick around <laughs> you know, stick around all right <laughs> listen this has been so much fun it really and has I, and, and, and I, just thank you it wasn't even a podcast it was just a chance to talk to one of my favorite people <laughs> and i love you so much and i miss you and i'm gonna I i'm gonna you. fix that uh soon yeah. now that the world's opening up <laughs> uh so Paget brewster thank you so much and thank all of you out there for listening and uh, i will be back next week god willing big big love the Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 